This is the at u2.com podcast for May 3rd, 2020, talking all things U2, including new album news, tour dates, and community discussions from the staff of at U2. Before we jump into the discussion, I want to let you know that you can find links to items we discuss in the episode at www.goodstuff.fm slash at u2 slash 105. And if you're not already subscribed to the At U2 podcast, you can find the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you currently listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Colin Suter, and on this episode, we have a guest film critic, uh, David Fowley, uh, who uh, David and I run in the same circles with the Chicago Film Critics Association, and we're going to talk today about U2's music and roles uh, in the movies and the various uh hats that you two have worn when it comes to the world you know when it comes to cinema david welcome to the show hey thanks appreciate being on yeah um you and i sort of bonded over our love of at you of of you two uh in the last you know like a a few years ago at the chicago critics film festival and uh we just talked long into the night about our favorite you two stuff and uh you seemed like just the logical choice to bring on the show to uh to talk about this stuff definitely um, and we were at uh the, the sh- a couple of the shows in united center uh, that's right which, which tour was that that was the uh the first one innocence yeah innocence. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and um it's it's tough being a U2 fan and a film critic sometimes because yes. <laughs> there are some things, I mean, you know, this, this episode is not going to be lavishing U2 with constant praise uh, because their, their track record of, and film is, is pretty spotty, I think. Um, <laughs> and so if, if you're looking for nothing but love for, you know, everything that they do, this might not be the episode for you. Although there have been uh, like some great U2 uh, related stuff in movies. So, but uh, as film critics, like there's just some things we can't ignore about a movie, you know, but we'll get to that. Uh, I thought it would be interesting to sort of dive in at the very beginning. Uh, One of the other contributors of at U2 pointed out to me the very first time a U2 song was used in a movie or TV show. And it happened to be an episode of WKRP, uh, which I, I never knew this, but uh, season three, episode 18, uh, the episode is called out to lunch and it used U2's I will follow. And I have an actually, I actually have an audio clip of that scene where the song is used. Bird, oh, John, I think your ticket came in. What? You remember a couple of weeks ago, the Irish sweepstakes ticket? We ran down all the numbers in the series. I think that you have a $1,000 winner, my friend. Really? Yeah. Big money. Where's the ticket? Uh, in my desk. Not according to Les. Now, you can't get that scene uh, in that form anymore. It's not available. Uh, mm. Shout, Fa- Shout Factory released WKRP, the entire series, on DVD but they couldn't get all the music rights for it. Um, they said they managed to try to get the rights to most of the show's extensive soundtrack, but they didn't get everything they wanted. And in a few cases, it was just simply impossible. Uh, so along, uh, aside from the U2 song they couldn't get, they couldn't get Pink Floyd's Dogs, which was heavily featured in the show's most popular episode, Turkey's Away, which should be, that's an episode that should be on everybody's Thanksgiving playlist uh, at, at Thanksgiving time. That is classic television. 
Um, as God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Beach Boys, Surfing USA, uh, The Beatles, Come Together, Devo's Whip It, The Kinks, You Really Got Me, and U2's I Will Follow are among the clips, the songs that they couldn't get. So, I mean, U2 is in good company for that. Yeah, yeah. But thanks to uh, Ross Perry for that that audio clip. Um, and we we posted a uh, on on social media yesterday. We posted uh, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram people's favorite uses of a U two song in a in a movie or TV show. And uh, a lot of people remembered that uh, the song "Wire" was uh, used in Miami Vice. And uh, have you have you watched that clip? I have not. Um, I mean, I I own Miami Vice on Blu-ray, uh, the oh, whole thing, you? but I don't remember. I, I remember a lot. I mean, Miami Vice is just associated with music, you know, like, mm-hmm. cr- like crazy. But I don't remember Wire that much. I remember a lot of Phil Collins and a lot of other things, but uh, not YouTube on Miami Vice. So I'm gonna have to look that up. Yeah, a couple of people posted the actual scene, and I watched it yesterday, and. It's basically a time killer. It's basically just uh, uh, Crockett and Tubbs following these guys at night on the highway, and they basically the, the almost the entire song "Wire" plays during the scene of just them driving, following these guys. Interesting, because that's <laughs> like, I mean that's how a lot of music is in Miami Vice, <laughs> right? <laughs> just we need to fill up ten minutes. All right, yeah. we'll get a song and have Crockett and Tubbs follow guys. Right, right. right. <laughs> There was a short-lived uh, TV show called Gun, uh, produced by Robert Altman, Interesting. that that used uh, U2's cover of Happiness is a Warm Gun around the same time Pop came out oh, in okay. 1997. Okay. So that was written specifically, specifically for that show. Uh, oh. There, Of course, there was a famous WB teen drama called right. One, One Tree Hill right, right. that actually played One Tree Hill in the last episode. That's surprising to me. That they got One Tree Hill finally? Yeah, I mean, it's like they barely play that live anyways, and for them to put it, you know, on a, a show, I mean, I guess, you know, it's it's the title track of, or right. the, the title of the show, so I guess that's fine. Yeah, I was. I remember when I first heard that title for that show, I was like, is U2 going to, like, be the theme song for that show, or are people going to, like, is it going to become, like, the Friends song, where it just, it's ubiquitous now? It's a great song, I don't, I just don't see it as a, as a title song for a TV show, but I guess if it's, yeah. the, if it's on the last episode of the last season, then okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> We're going to go out on a high note. Right, right. Um, I've never seen that show, so I don't know if it was good or not. But uh, And then, of course, Glee uh, did one, and I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Of course. Yeah, and I don't I, – I, I was into Glee for, like, the first season and a half, I think, and then I just kind of gave up on it. I, I gave it a couple of – a couple of watches maybe the first season and i just got annoyed after a while yeah <laughs> there was some really like biting like humor on that show mm-hmm, like, there mm-hmm. was, they, they went to some really interesting places but after yeah. a while it just got to be like i don't really care if they're in the semifinals now right I, I just I'm, I'm done right right oh and somebody posted a clip from the office uh where <laughs> <laughs> michael scott used with or without you uh, for his Faces of Scranton video. That's hilarious. Uh, season 2, episode 16. It's really funny. I'm so it, glad somebody posted that. I, it is funny how With or Without You kind of became, like, people were, you know, outside of TVs and stuff, people would use it in, like, weddings and stuff. 
Yeah. And and that's almost as weird to me as every breath you take. I mean, okay, every breath you take is a little bit more like okay, a little bit more <laughs> predatory, I would say. Yeah. Uh, but but with or without you is like I can't live with or without you. Okay, um all right. Maybe for maybe for renewing your vows. I don't know about, I don't know about the wedding day, but we'll we'll get back to that topic. Okay, okay, good, good. Later in the show. Okay, good, me. good. Um, I have the perfect clip for that. So I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but you're right because I I used to film weddings, right? And well, I still do actually. But yeah. uh, multiheadwedding.com if you're interested. And you're in Chicago. <laughs> um, and I was at one wedding where the DJ played in a row. Every breath you take, and then one, <laughs> one, okay? okay? We're supposed to dance to one. And then uh-huh. Phil, Co- Phil Collins, Another Day in Paradise. What? <laughs> Which is, there's nothing ambiguous about that song being about the homeless. It is directly about it, being true. homeless. Like, it's how true. are you, how are you, how is anybody supposed to dance to this? That dance floor was, <laughs> like, empty for those three songs. Everybody uh, knew. I think the only way you could dance to that is pretty inebriated yeah exactly (laughs) oh man uh and then some people pointed out that the walking dead used the troubles i do remember that it was probably i think it was i mean obviously it was up there in the season number i think it might have been season eight maybe Mm. um but you know obviously it was after you know because troubles is from innocence right yeah yes yeah okay so I thought, yeah, um, yeah. So I think it was around there, and I think it might have been an opening scene, and it was mm. pretty. It was pretty interesting, but because I, I was like, "Oh wow, okay, this is from the new album." Oh, okay. Mm. So that was yeah. another show I gave up on after I, a while. I did too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, friends used with or without you. A lot of people <laughs> pointed that out. Uh, I think that's the most used U two song. Probably between came, that and where the streets have no name or I still haven't found. Yeah. It's definitely in those, yeah. those three are probably the top right. three. Right. And then, Oh, Mindy Kaling's show. Never have I ever used beautiful day. I didn't even remember that show. I don't either, but <laughs> somebody pointed it out. So I'll mention okay. it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then I think, I think the one that got the one TV show that got the most mentions and I've never seen this show, uh, the Americans. I've heard nothing but great things about it. Right, um, I too. know that, Pete Townsend, I think, did a little bit of work. I think he did like the opening, like the main opening song for the show. Okay, right? he had some kind of a, I don't know, like a, they a new variation on one of his songs. But that's about all I knew about the music from that show. Um, but here we, it's it's interesting that here we have another U two song for a season finale. Maybe not mm-hmm. a series finale, but a season finale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, I think it was a, a series finale. Was a ser- but, but it was I, it theirs. Was it their version or a different version? It was their version. I I read one post that says they cut the song up that it wasn't the whole song, huh. um, and that really frustrated that particular viewer. But everybody else was like, "That was the greatest thing ever when they used with or without you, <laughs> the Americans." So uh, okay. I'm gonna have to check that out because yeah, I've heard nothing but great things about that show, and I'm I'm just I'm a little slow when it comes to television sometimes. Me too. Yeah. I'm just now watching Twin Peaks. So hey, nothing better yeah. late than never. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's that's what I that's what we have for television, and okay. I know there's a ton more. I know it's all out there. There's sure. so many TV shows, but you know that's that that was that's what everybody tweeted about um, mm-hmm. or posted on Facebook. So uh, now getting to U2's 
contra- direct contributions to movies. Yeah. Not just submitting, you know, an old song, but or letting a filmmaker use an old song, but actually composing something for films. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some interesting stuff. I think this is probably the strongest category of that we're going to have today as far as like the quality of movies and the quality of music. And right. Like, right. Um, but it doesn't start that way. Uh, I think the first movie they composed a song or music for was this obscure movie called Captive. And it was mainly Edge, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was Edge collaborating with Michael Brook on the music. Okay. That's right. And. Uh, one song, at least one song that I know of, had uh, then uh, then unknown Sinead O'Connor. Yeah, with uh, the song called Heroin. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love this soundtrack. I think it's amazing. When I was in high school, I listened to it on my cassette. I had a cassette of it. I, I listened to it almost every night, like that to put me like in the mood to like you know put my head in the pillow and everything. That's 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 not that's not a diss in the album. It's just a very uh, I used to listen to albums all the time, soundtracks, especially going going to sleep. Uh, but but this one was just so moody and so interesting and so reflective. Um, okay, so I did give the movie. A sh- uh, okay, so I hadn't seen the movie ever until right, until recently, and it's probably for the better. It's probably for the better. <laughs> I tried. I really tried giving it a shot, and I'm like, I really shouldn't do this to the soundtrack. Uh, yeah because yeah. I, I probably within the first 10 minutes i'm like uh maybe another time <laughs> i watched the whole thing oh wow yeah and um yeah it's it's not good it's yeah. sort of like it's like the patty hearst story by way of zalman king do you know uh, that oh, yeah 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 i know yeah. Zalman. <laughs> i know the reference it's a, it's, a, it's a red shoe patty hearst <laughs> yeah exactly it's just like a lot of boobs and a lot yeah. of just like gratuitous uh, sex and violence. And uh, Zalman King, for people who don't know, is like he's like a director of like Cinemax After Dark movies, right, right, basically right. Uh, erotic thrillers. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what this felt like. And it just feels weird to have Edge involved in something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the opposite of the kind of thing you would want want him to be involved with. I would love to see this soundtrack just like taken from that movie. And made it and, and just applied to a better movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's a great. few. There's a few of those in here. Yeah, uh, and yeah. yeah, that that's definitely the case with this. And uh, you're right, Captive is a is a really just get the soundtrack and you don't hunt down the movie. But if you have to see, if you're a completist and you want to see it, mm-hmm. it it is on YouTube <laughs> in its entirety. Uh, just look up Captive 1985 Oliver Reed political yeah. thriller. Yeah. And there it is. I mean, as far as completist, just listen to the soundtrack. If you're, if you need to watch the movie, I mean, then you must be an Oliver Reed completist. That's all, that's all I know. <laughs> I, yeah. God help you if you're an Oliver Reed completist. <laughs> you're in for a long, bumpy road. I, I hope you have a. I hope you have a picture of a uh, sangria or something. <laughs> uh, and then um, I know there's been stuff in between, and we're, we're going all over the place. So that's fine. That's fine. We're, 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 there will be other categories come up. So if we if we're going down a timeline, and we for, if you think we're forgetting something, don't worry. We'll get we'll there. We'll come back. We'll come back. Yeah, we're, we're always going to come back. So uh, the next one I have on my list is uh, Shortcuts, mm-hmm. uh, Robert Altman's three-hour movie that is uh, sort of the precursor to Magnolia. Right. 
and it's you know 22 characters and 11 stories mm-hmm. in Los Angeles all taking place over the course of one weekend I think yeah and um in an earthquake and an earthquake yeah, yeah. it's an amazing movie and I it's, totally it's I forgot my, about this song yeah it's I think it's my it's I wouldn't say it's Altman's best film but it's my favorite of his mm-hmm. uh, just to see to, it just showcases what he does so well yeah. Um, and I mean, it's just got an amazing cast and a great soundtrack. I remember getting the soundtrack immediately, not just because Bono and the Edge were involved and they wrote a conversation on a bar stool, but the, the music was really good. And you can't find the soundtrack, it's out, it's out of print now. Um, oh, really? It's not on iTunes or nothing. Um, mm. so I still have a disc of it, but um, man, it would be great to see it re released because Annie Ross plays this kind of like you know, torchy, a lounge singer, kind of uh, washed up. Her daughter is played by Laurie. I think it's Laurie Singer. Yeah. Um, and, and she's a cellist. So they're both kind of, they have music in in their blood and in their in their genes, but they're just different generations, different styles. One's classical, one's kind of torchy jazz. Uh, but that whole scene where she's singing Conversation on a Barstool, and when I learned that, you know, Bono wrote that, I mean, it's just, it's a perfect, like Bono's so great at like description, descriptive cinematic visuals in his lyrics and so this was just perfect for her character but i won't be sorry if you won't be and i don't want your pity or your sympathy but with 45 dollars I can make it You wait and see Yeah, it's, that's one thing I've always said is that Bono doesn't get enough credit as as a storyteller in his right. songs and and I love when he takes on somebody else's he's telling somebody else's story other than his own Mm-hmm. Which he does a lot, and he's great at that too. But I really love. That's why I love. That's why I appreciate No Line on the Horizon so much. Mm-hmm. Is because it's all about these other characters. It's not about him. Yeah, and I. Yeah, and this song yeah. kind of fits fits with that album. I think. Yeah, he comes um, across as very empathetic, and I, mm-hmm. I think I think you're you can do that, or you can be that way when you put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Yeah. And, yeah. And the whole movie is is like that. It's yep. it's empathetic towards characters who are some of whom are not sympathetic. And uh, I always I always wanted to hear him sing that song, but I think w- without Annie Ross singing it, I mean, I don't know if it would be the same. And that's it's kind of like the testament of some good songwriting where it's like you you it's like you wrote it, you gave birth to it, but you're giving it to somebody else, and mm-hmm. that somebody else ran with it and then they are so good with it. You almost don't want the original writer to sing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, in the name of the father, same year, 1993, uh, Bono collaborated with Gavin Friday and Maurice Caesar, uh, two of his old childhood friends mm-hmm. and uh, created just uh, three songs for that album. Right. One of which is sung by Sinead O'Connor again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's another case of I, I only want her to sing it. I don't really need to hear Bono sing it. Right. But I loved, I mean, that was my introduction to Gavin Friday. I had never heard of him before mm. this. Me too. And, yeah. And that opening song 
and that you know title track and hearing Gavin Friday's voice is like, ooh, who's this guy? You know, I was like, oh, I want to know more about him. He's got this cool, deep voice that is just like <laughs> penetrating. The way it's used in the opening credits, that whole, the way I just, I love, I don't know how, I, I, they must have scored the song to that sequence um, because it's just so, it's so perfect the way it just, there's this calamitous, you know, explosion uh, and then it just like the song completely changes tempo and, um, and then, uh, and then, you know, then the movie starts, but then. The, on the album version, it just like it builds up to this beautiful crescendo of that of uh, you know production that I was so it was it was a little bit of Zuropa in there with a the little backward tape loops mm-hmm. and then um, but uh, yeah it was just during that sweet spot that you that creative sweet spot that you two is in during this period and I think in the name of the Father is a big big part of that. It's a great song. It's a great opening. It's a great. It's actually a really good soundtrack. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it does definitely helps if you've seen the movie. Um, you know the the what the viewing experience or the listening experience you get from the soundtrack. But um, I mean, without a doubt, you know the the song that you know most people know from that movie was the joint collaboration between Sinead and you two. You made me the thief of, of your heart, mm-hmm. um, and that's just it's you know it's kind of a very moving and heartbreaking song. It's really well well done. Yeah, I was I was disappointed that uh, the Academy didn't recognize that song. I agree. Yeah, but yeah, I know. It's, it's gonna be. It's, I'm gonna be disappointed a few times, but <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that. That was such a that, that that song wound up on the radio, and at least here in Chicago, it got yeah, some airplay. That did, yeah. Uh, and then Billy Bula, the great disco song <laughs> that they did, which is awesome. I mean, that that's right. a Gavin Friday song more than oh, a totally. Bono song. Yeah, but, uh, and you can tell it. you can tell they're both having fun in that. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a blast. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Batman Forever, they uh, <laughs> had a nice little number one hit, uh, but in their during their downtime with "Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me." It, it's almost like when a view to a, when Duran Duran did a view to a kill. You know, it's like <laughs> it, it, it because it's you don't expect it, but then you think, well, it, it just fits. You know, yeah. I mean, and, and mainly. You know, obviously, Bono's persona and personality many times um, overshadows the rest of the guys, and that's fine. They know that. Uh, but but this is just, you could tell his character and his his disposition, personality, really kind of fit for the song and for the tone of the Joel Schumacher movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. it's It's not a movie I've seen very often, mm-hmm. but... There are things I like about it. I oh, know yeah. it's trash. It gets trashed a lot, but I, yeah. I there's things about it that I actually enjoy. I enjoy Jim Carrey in it. Yeah, uh, and I, I, and, I, yeah. and I think I enjoyed Tommy Lee Jones too. Um, I, yeah, I always said that Val Kilmer makes uh, a good Batman, not such a good Bruce Wayne. Oh, okay, but um, you know, I mean, save your trash for the next movie, Batman. And yeah. Robin. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, but it's a, it, it, I think you know the it. 
it produced a great video that is it really did. that is really like esoteric for people who don't know U2 lore and don't know Zoo TV or Macfisto. They right. must be like, what what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we know, and it's a treat for us. Uh, yeah. And then uh, the first James Bond movie in like six years came out, Goldeneye. Right. And you talked about not wanting to hear Bono sing an original song that he wrote that he eventually gave to somebody else. This mm-hmm. is one that he gave to Tina Turner to sing. Right. Because his vocal delivery wasn't really right for the part. And there's a there's a perfect clip on YouTube where you can there's a, a perfect example of that because uh there is a demo version of Bono singing this song. Oh boy. And put to the opening sequence of goldeneye mm. and he's kind of putting a mcfisto like uh accent on everything right. like he's giving it he's he's singing it as mcfisto almost <laughs> and it's interesting but he made the right choice right. like there's something about i don't know uh i mean tina turner it's tina turner and yeah. she should sing a bond theme it's totally. like one of the things she should have uh you know on her on her resume. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, just as Shirley Bassey did Goldfinger mm-hmm. forever. I mean, you have Tina Turner doing a Bond song and it's the first Pierce Brosnan. So it just, it feels like, whoa. And then to look in parentheses, wait, written by Bono and the, get- well, yeah. okay. All right. And it's, <laughs> yeah. and it's just, who knows? I, I'm really curious. I'm sure there's a bunch of write-ups somewhere. I never really looked into it, but I, I'm really curious as to like what they told him about, the movie, you know, what, what the broccolis or the, the, you know, the producers, what they said about the movie or what can you write about? You know, what's the mm-hmm. movie going to be about? You know, maybe, I mean, there is a golden eye, you know, you know, novel. So it's like, did what kind of research was done to come up with these lyrics, you know? <laughs> well, he, Bono, I, I, if I remember correctly, and I, I'm, I'm also sort of in the dark about this, but I know it's, it's documented out there that he visited ian fleming's house uh golden eye and so he he had some knowledge about you know james bond and ian fleming and and all this stuff so it i want to say that you know it kind of came to him naturally um just based on his his run-ins with with ian fleming um right but i don't know enough about specifically about that right uh along the same lines speaking of action movies uh, that would spawn franchises or uh, be part of a franchise mission impossible right la larry and adam branching off uh on their own right the one and only time that's happened for a movie as i'm for a movie yeah for a movie yeah um then this was again you know if we looked at the best transition from tv to film i mean is it the mission impossible movies right you know could uh, be yeah yeah probably um, or Star Trek, of course, but, um, yeah, I mean that, I remember when that title track came out, I was like, wow, this is just like very updated and propulsive mm-hmm. and it, you could tell it was Adam and Larry. Yeah. It had that, it had that signature Larry sound mm-hmm. and, uh, I love, I love the video that they made for it. Right. Um, yeah, this was fun. I mean, this was a cool, like, we're in that sort of in-between spot between Zeropa and Pop where they're just experimenting with film and, right. you know, just contributing scores. And Bono's getting movie roles offered to him left and right, and he's turning mm-hmm. all of them down. 
Um, <laughs> did you know he was supposed to be in Strange Days? That would have been kind of appropriate. <laughs> that would have been kind of appropriate. Um, he was supposed to play the sleazy record producer character. Uh, that would have been, and- <laughs> been interesting. I wonder. I wonder yeah. why he turned it down. Well, if you go watch the movie, watch that actor's performance. I can't. I'm blanking on his name right now. Okay. He's he's been in a ton of stuff. He's got this very distinctive voice. Oh, Michael Wincott. Oh, that's, that's perfect. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was in The Crow, and yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So if you watch his performance in the movie and try to imagine Bono doing some of the stuff that he does in that movie. It's like really hard to imagine. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm kind of glad he turned it down. But yeah. um. Yeah. But yeah, no, this was this was a cool little little side project and rife with remixes. I mean, I, oh, I, yeah, I, I got the vinyl single and it's got like seven remixes on it. I think the '90s were just like the land of remixes for mm-hmm. for, for the band and for the boys. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I guess now is a good time we could talk about the Passengers movies. I'm going to skip ahead of, down a little bit. On that makes list. sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so around this time, the Passengers album came out, which is this kind of fake movie soundtrack concept uh, thing that they did with Brian Eno. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the liner notes, there are, you know, these kind of fake movies applied to these songs that they created. And some of but some of the movies are real. Right. And some of these tracks wound up in actual movies later on, like Mm -hmm. Heat. Right. Uh, Heat, which had Robert De Niro, Val Kilmer, and Al Pacino, mm-hmm. and uh, it used "Always Forever Now." Uh, right. I want to say during a bank heist sequence, but I, I could be wrong. I think it was, but it almost seemed like uh, it was during like kind of like a montage where they were getting ready for like a final okay action sequence. Okay. Um, yeah, it was almost like this contemplative period in the movie. Okay. Um, but yeah, I remember, I mean, I, I think that I bought the soundtrack to Heat before I bought Passengers. Oh, really? Uh, so it was on the, it's on the soundtrack yeah. to, to Heat. And then I'm like, oh, well, okay. They just, you know, <laughs> they use it for both, you know, so it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Passengers is really cool. Of course, you know, Miss Sarajevo is probably the, 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 the track that they are playing live mostly from, from that mm-hmm. album. And yeah. that's probably mostly recognizable. Oh yeah, and it's uh, it was used in a documentary of the same name. Yeah, and uh, I've seen that document. It's a short documentary, uh, thirty minutes, I think, and mm-hmm. um, all about you know the war in Sarajevo. And mm-hmm. a lot of the clips from that documentary are used in the Miss Sarajevo video. Okay, uh, it's a really good, good, good movie if you can find it. Okay, and um, Ghost in the Shell, the classic anime film, mm-hmm. uh, used one minute warning. Which uh, I remember they advertised that heavily in the ads. Remember when that movie came out here in Chicago? It only played at one theater, but they they were very sure to place prominently in the ad, featuring music by U two. I was like, well, kind of, you one know, <laughs> one instrumental song at the end of the film. <laughs> was that at the Fine Arts in Chicago or Music Box? I believe the Fine Arts. Yeah, yeah I think it was Fine Arts. Yeah. Yeah. Um interesting movie. Not so much the remake, but Oh uh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah. Don't yeah. watch that. <laughs> uh and then there's this movie called Beyond the Clouds, uh made by uh and Michelangelo Antonioni and Vim Vendors. We'll get to Vim Vendors in a moment, but wow. uh that movie uh, you want is is very hard to find. Uh John Malkovich is in it. I forgot who else is in it. Um but it used beach sequence 
in a scene that takes place at the beach. Okay. Uh, you can find that clip on YouTube um, of hmm. John Malkovich walking a- along the beach, looking at a picture. Huh. And, uh, and I've, I've been told your blue room is used in the, in the closing of the film. And there's a clip of that on YouTube as well, but it didn't look like it was a closing of a movie. It looked like it was just random scenes. It looked more like a music video, but I haven't seen the film. So I don't know, mm. but, um, but yeah, I think, I think that's a, a cool little side project they did. I wish there was an original soundtracks too, or maybe I don't wish, I don't know. Yeah. But, you never know. Yeah. So then, then uh, so then, jumping ahead to 2001, Bono again collaborated with Maurice Caesar and Gavin Friday for a cover of "Children of the Revolution" for mm-hmm. Moulin Rouge. <laughs> Are you a Moulin Rouge guy? I, I like it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen it since it was in theaters, so okay. I'd like to give it another viewing. I thought it was. A cool movie to have out there in the mainstream, you know, just kind of yeah. like mixing, you know, mixing things up a little bit. And mm-hmm. it was most unusual summer film. I just remember wanting to like it more right. than I did because I found it really just over edited and, and a little too frenetic for my liking. But mm-hmm. I, was, I was like, I really love this image. Oh, it's gone now. Um, yeah. I, that, but that's a, that's a problem Baz Luhrmann has always yeah. had. And that's, I think for me, that was kind of, I guess, well, no, I guess his updated version of Romeo and Juliet was my intro to Baz Luhrmann. Um, okay. And then Moulin Rouge. And again, it, it's just, it it takes some getting used to, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of like, you know, reading a Cormac McCarthy book, you know, <laughs> it, takes, <laughs> it takes some getting used to the language, you know, of, of his films. And, but I, I appreciated the energy of it and I, I appreciated how they, you know, adapted the, the different songs that we're kind of used to, but in a different version. So mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, I think like I likened it to watching like uh, the the way they updated music for uh, that Heath Ledger medieval movie, A Knight's oh. Tale or whatever. It's like, oh my oh, gosh. Like God. if you compare the two, I'll take Moulin Rouge. Oh, in a heartbeat. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I couldn't stand a knight's tale. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh man. Uh, no, you're hundred percent, hundred percent. And it's streaming on HBO right now. Um, yes. yeah. Moulin Rouge. So mm-hmm. I will definitely I'm definitely gonna take another look at it. It's been twenty years, I think, yeah. since that movie came out. Um and then uh a pair of, of Oscar nominated songs, starting with uh Gangs of New York. Mm-hmm. They recorded a song, uh The Hands That Built America. Right. And um, this was this seemed like a sure thing. Like I think U two wants to win an Academy Award before they call it quits. I think they have that on their to do list. Yeah, and they just can't seem to make it happen. Or, or um, at least, or at least Bono does. Yeah, Bono does. Maybe. <laughs> they want that EGOT. Well, they're not going to get the they're not going to get the T of the EGOT because no, no, no. Yeah. after Spider Man. I was just going to say, yeah. <laughs> but um. But yeah, it was, I mean, I think it's a really good song. Um, I I think it's great. Yeah. And I, the movie is another one also streaming on HBO right now Mm -hmm. uh, that I need to give another chance. I, I feel like I'm watching something a little bit compromised uh, when I watch it, but I haven't seen it in a while, so it might grow on me more. Yeah. It's definitely one of those ones where you need to like, 
commit to and, and plant yourself in front of it and just let it kind of, you know, overcome you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I thought that the song was fitting the, mm-hmm. the, the whole, the, the music of it, not just the lyrics was just really fitting for the movie, but also just like a Scorsese movie for some reason. It just, uh, I thought that they were a good uh, match. Um, you know, especially for the subject of the movie being like, you know, how, you know, the Irish came over into, uh, and developed, basically developed New York. Um, so yeah, it was, I thought it was mm-hmm. really, really appropriate. Yeah. And I think there was so much, I remember at the time there was so much momentum, you know, for you two to actually, you know, take home the gold, mm-hmm. um, because you had Scorsese, you had that pedigree and, you know, you two at the time, uh, was touring, um, with all that you can't leave behind. And it was right. just, or, or they had, or no, this was a year after that actually. But, um, but, uh, and then you, you know, Miramax at that time was very good at getting people to vote for their movies. And, uh, <laughs> it just yeah. seemed like, well, this is a slam dunk. And, uh, but they lost to Eminem. So, um, uh, which, yeah. But you know what? That's a good song. It is a good song. Eight, I, eight, I'm glad they lost to something good. <laughs> eight, eight mile, yeah. But Eminem didn't show up for the ceremony, and we missed out on the image of Barbara Streisand giving an Academy Award to Eminem, which I would have loved to have seen. Uh, have, she was she was the one who presented. <laughs> I'll have to go back and check out that on YouTube. I, now I'm curious as to who performed "Lose Yourself." Yeah, was it just like a dance? Thing. <laughs> maybe i don't know i don't know how they did it uh or maybe they just they did it. or maybe they just didn't yeah and i do recall there there are moments uh there's some years where if if an artist didn't show up they just didn't play that song um, which is fine so and then they were nominated again uh i think like 10 years later or something like that uh for the mandela movie long walk to freedom uh with their song ordinary love right uh, i i have no memory of whether or not i liked this movie i you know i am right there with you um <laughs> okay good and you know it it kind of i don't know it kind of proves that there could it could be there could be a really good u2 song and maybe not so much of a memorable movie yeah <laughs> um yeah. i mean i like i said before with gangs in new york i think that was a really appropriate you know piece um mm-hmm. Uh, as far as ordinary love, it, it feels I'm I'm if I remember correctly, it feels like and it it was I believe an end credit song, right? Yes, yes, yeah. So it, so. It, it really only played end credit song. Whereas, you know, something like these are the hands that built America um, that could have played during a Scorsese montage, and I I don't know if, I don't think it did, but mm-hmm. I, it feels like it could have, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but. Ordinary Love, it feels like uh, the end of, it feels like kind of like the feel-good uh, end credit song of a very powerful uh, movie, or hopefully a powerful movie, about yeah. uh, a very important individual. Um, mm. Again, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm not, uh, <laughs> my memory doesn't serve me very well with this movie. Um and, and I, I guess think, yeah. maybe that's maybe it wasn't that great. I don't. I mean, I would I would definitely give it another chance. I'd watch sure. it again. I'd watch it again. But I think one one thing that happens with film critics is that 
at the end of the year, we get swamped with DVDs and screeners of award movies. And a lot of them just, you know, you, when you're watching, you know, four or five movies in a day, uh, they all just kind of bleed together and you start to lose your, your, you know, subjectivity. Um, or objectivity rather. And, I think this is just one of those movies that at the time just kind of got lost in the shuffle of award movies, prestigious mm-hmm. award movies. I mean, you're releasing a movie about Mandela in, during award season, like it's Oscar bait and uh, the Weinsteins were behind this one again. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not surprised that you two didn't win the Oscar for this. I mean, the song, it's a good song. I it, I don't think it's a great song, but I think it's a good song. They, they clearly love it, but um but uh, it it didn't have that sort of like hook that everybody remembers, you know. Right. It, it it was it it just. I mean, it was never going to lose against. I mean, it was never going to win against. Uh, I believe it lost to a Disney movie. Probably. I want to say. I want to say Frozen. Maybe, um, maybe yeah. something like that. Where yeah. it was just like, nope, it's not going to be U 2s year. Not <laughs> against that song. <laughs> nice try. Uh, yeah, I think it was Frozen because they were both 2013 movies. Oh, that's right. And you know what? Arcade Fire was nominated that year too for her for the oh, score yeah. for her. I was really rooting which for was, that. Which was good. Yeah. 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 Um, so it's just like, a bad year, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, for, for U two at least. But for a, a a diehard Arcade Fire fan and a diehard U2 fan, I had a lot of, you know, I had a lot at stake that year. Yeah, a little I, bit of a know. tug of war there, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I would definitely, I'd be interested in checking this movie out again. I'm, I'm sure I have it still in a screener pile somewhere in a box. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, I, I was also kind of overwhelmed or, I don't know, maybe even underwhelmed about the or maybe even confused about the amount of times uh, Nelson Mandela has either been brought to film or there's been documentaries about him. So mm-hmm. it was like that just kind of that movie just kind of in my mental Rolodex just got kind of lost in, you know, file under Mandela films, you know, cause like, <laughs> you know, Morgan Freeman played him in Invictus and mm-hmm. there was, you know, uh, uh, at least a handful of other documentaries. So uh, I just, I felt like, okay, like you said, you know, it's got lost in the buzz, buzz awards season, uh, shuffle, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I think, and then this one, I had no memory of this at all. Somebody pointed this out on Facebook this morning that Bono contributed a cover of that's life to the movie, the good thief, uh, Neil Jordan's 2003 movie. That's life. I'll tell you. Can't deny it. I thought I quit, baby, but my heart just won't buy it. And if I didn't think it was worth just one more try, I wrote myself up. I think I liked that movie. I, I haven't thought about it in 17 years, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I probably liked it. Yeah. But, um, so we mentioned Vim Vendors earlier Mm -hmm. and, um, Vim Vendors is probably, you know, the most important filmmaker in U2's career in terms of how often he's worked with them, uh, how often they've collaborated on stuff. Right. I know Phil Joanna. We'll we'll talk about Phil Joanna later, Mm -hmm. but, um, but Vim Vendors is a guy who is, uh, you know, he was, 
part of the a, a German wave of filmmaking in the seventies that is considered very important for you know film nerds and and scholars and such. Right. And uh, he made a movie in 1984 called Paris, Texas, mm-hmm. starring Harry Dean Stanton. And that movie served as inspiration for the lyrics to Where the Streets Have No Name. Mm. And so U2, or Pim Fenders is on U2's radar for a while. And um, it's, it is, you know, the opening scenes of the movie is basically, you know, uh, Harry Dean Stanton kind of wandering the desert in, I'm not sure where, but somewhere in, you know, uh, in, in the American Southwest, uh, but, but Texas, probably <laughs> Paris, Texas. Um, and, uh, and so that kind of like informed the landscape of the Joshua tree and Anton Corbine's photography. Yeah. So that movie is sort of indirectly or directly, however you want to look at it, linked to the Joshua tree and is therefore worth bringing up, even though there's no YouTube music in the movie. Um, I really thought it was important to mention it because uh, if you have the criterion channel, you can stream Paris, Texas right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I highly recommend that you do. Uh, it's, it's a showcase performance for one of our, our best actors who's no longer with us. Right. Harry Dean, Harry Dean Stanton. Um, who I'm enjoying seeing in Twin Peaks to return right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, he's, I mean, he's so great. I, I recently showed my 13 year old daughter, um, both pretty in pink and alien. I mean, <laughs> very different movies, but they both had yes. Harry Dean. And I'm like, look at how versatile this actor is. And she's like, mm-hmm. Whoa, you know, yeah. she didn't realize it was the same person, but yeah, Paris, Texas, I could totally see how it was almost like a, uh, um, such a influential film for, you know, Bono and the rest of the guys, um, mm-hmm. you know, to, I mean, when you think about their journey, uh, a musical journey, if you will, uh, their journey to, uh, that they took on the making of the Joshua tree. Um, that's almost this, you know, to have this kind of like nomad nomadic feel in the film. It's, it's kind of like how they were exploring and discovering America on their own in, mm-hmm. in Joshua tree. So, you know, I, I could see how it'd be very influential for them. And also Vim Vendors being a German, uh, making his first movie in America, if I'm right. not mistaken. Right. Um, they're both outsiders looking in at at America. Right. Um, so it's it, they they have a kinship there. So Wings of Desire was Vim's next movie in 1988. And again, no U2 songs in this movie, but it's worth bringing up because it is. Uh, First of all, one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. There's really nothing like it. It is also streaming on the Criterion channel right now. But I, I bring it up because it tie, it's it ties in with uh, one of the great U2 songs, Stay, Far Away yep. So Close. Right. And the movie Far Away So Close is the sequel to Wings of Desire. But you can't really get Far Away So Close anywhere right now except you can order a dvd of it on amazon for like 40 bucks if you really want it and, and that, uh, that was a feature film right for yeah. and it was yeah and so yeah it's really very interesting how it didn't have much of a theatrical release yeah i mean it, it i watched it this morning actually and um it's it i i, I want to say it played at the music box for a while mm-hmm. out here in chicago but right. um but wings of desire 
is the movie I think people should see. If you're a YouTube fan, most likely you've seen the Far Away So Close video, right. which uses uh, a lot of clips from the movie Far Away So Close. And uh, in some cases, Bono is standing in for the uh, Bruno Gans character <laughs> uh, in some shots. And um, But what Wings of Desire, it's not as good a movie as Wings of Desire. I mean, it's nowhere, not, not, not nearly as good. It, it kind of falls apart about halfway through. Right. Um, but Wings of Desire is you know mo- a movie about angels watching over people in Berlin at the time when there was a wall up. And that wall is used as a as a metaphor for you know the human condition, our souls, our lives. I mean, it's it's used in in, in a variety of different ways. Mm-hmm. But what that movie does is just make you feel. It makes you think about time and how how life feels when you're sort of. I don't know. It's so hard to describe, but. Uh, it, it it made me think about life and death in a way that m- few movies ever have. And the cinematic language that the movie uses, it's, it's, it's black and white when it's f- told from the angel's point of view. It's in color when it's told from the human's point of view. And uh, it's, it's unlike anything I've ever seen before or since. And um, I just, I, I want to make, I, I want to urge people to watch that movie. And then if you really want to see far away, so close, seek it out. It's it's interesting. It's got some cool stuff, and it's got a great soundtrack. It does oh, yeah. use the song "Stay" mm-hmm. um, and and the Wanderer, the Johnny Cash song from That's Zero right. Back. That's right. Uh, those songs are used back to back in the same scene, mm. uh, but it's more background noise than like really like front and center use. Right. It's kind of disappointing. Atmospheric, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And incidentally, uh, Wings of Desire was later remade as uh, <laughs> City of Angels in 1998 <laughs> with uh, Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan, uh, which has If God Will Send His Angels on the soundtrack. It's a little too on the nose, nose in my opinion. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I but, like that song, but I mean, yeah, yeah it, it got overpowered by Goo Goo Dolls, I guess. <laughs> yeah the soundtrack you mean yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah um yeah that song that that google dial song is from there i forgot about that <laughs> i haven't seen that movie since it first came out yeah. um i've heard some people defend it as like if there was no such things as as wings of desire then this would be a much better movie but oh, it's okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've heard, <laughs> i know i know i don't know what to make of that defense but like <laughs> <laughs> but there is wings of desire, you know, <laughs> like that's the one you should watch. I don't think I really ever gave that movie a chance, but that again, it's one of those things where I, I kind of enjoyed the soundtrack more. So there's a good Peter Gabriel song in there, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, anytime you two would show up in a soundtrack, I would always just kind of check it out. I felt obligated. Yeah. I'm the same way, but before he made, or no, between wings of desire and far away. So close, he put together one of his probably his most ambitious movie, which was Until the End of the World. Oh man! And uh, yeah, this this movie um, caught my eye first. Probably this probably the same thing for you. The first thing that caught my eye about this movie was the soundtrack. Yep. And at the time the soundtrack came out, I was more at this point more of a Talking Heads fan than a U2 fan. I was a U2 fan, but not the diehard I am right now. Okay. I was a little bit off U2 after Rattle and Hum. I got kind of tired of them. Um, And there was a down period. This was still during the down period when that, this 
the soundtrack came out. But I was like, okay, cool. Well, there's also a new U2 song on the soundtrack. That's cool too, but I'm buying it for Talking Heads. So this movie that Vim Vendor's, um, this epic that he had in mind was to be filmed all over the world. It was basically uh, William Hurt is a scientist who invents this machine that this like virtual reality machine that helps the blind see. Mm. And he wants, and and the government is after him for it. This woman uh, is just kind of chasing him around the globe. And this writer is interested in this woman. It's, you know, Sam Neill is in it. Uh, Together they are about to embark on the ultimate journey. There's a guy looking for you. He's got a gun. Yeah, I know. I just seem to attract criminals. Hey, I'm not a criminal. A journey that will take them to the ends of the earth. The camera was developed in their time with government funds. He's wanted. And last... I am neither a spy nor a jewel thief. What are you then? Until the end of the world. This is where computer programming ends and real detective work begins. The technology is the same. He takes his brain signals and turns them into pictures on the screen. What's he doing? He's trying to record his own dreams. I trusted him. Sure, and then he rubbed you. You love him? Yes, I do. I hope he loves you. It's the end of the world. It's 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 a big sprawling epic science fiction storyline, and Vendors basically reached out to all of his musician friends and said, "Hey, do you guys want to contribute a song or you know something to this soundtrack? Imagine you, what your music will sound like in the year 1999, which at wow. that time it was still futuristic, right? Right. 1989 yep. when they made the movie, and so Talking Heads contributed a song, um, which R-E-M. I was. Yeah. REM uh yeah it, basically he he sent out like the way he tells it on the criterion disc he sent out like 18 letters and got 19 ye- or 17 yeses of course yeah yeah and it's just like one of the greatest soundtracks of all time i mean yeah. it really is it really is it, it's 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 very much a journey like you for that i mean sure there's a lot of songs on that album that you could just like listen to just that song but when you listen to that album as a whole it's it's an experience. It just takes you takes you to a lot of different places, like the movie. But it's just it's an and it's amazing. It's almost like somebody controlling, you know, the the dial on an old radio or something. You know, it's just like wow, this is just a great journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And the version of "Until the End of the World" that's on there is an earlier draft of that song. It's mm-hmm. not the it's not just the Octung Baby version. It's it's a little rougher. And it's used quite a bit in the movie itself. Now, mm-hmm. when the movie came out, it was a compromised version of the film. It was about two hours and 40 minutes. Now, that sounds like you know, <laughs> it sounds like a lot in and of itself. But really, I remember when I finally saw the movie after living with the soundtrack for a good six months, being kind of disappointed in it because it had all these like great ideas, but it didn't really hold together very well. Right. It was just kind of disjointed and I wasn't connecting with it at all. But now criterion has released the (laughs) four hour and 45 minute version. Uh, yeah. And it's great. It is. 
great. I've yet to check it out. I know it's just a pure salad impulse buy that I need to just go ahead yeah. and do it. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I can't recommend it highly enough, and it's it's streaming on Criterion Channel right now. Yeah, um, and uh, it's it it really is it, it it's a far superior movie. I don't think you can even get the two and a half hour version anymore. But um, no, this is but, also the the album that introduced me to like the singing voice of Daniel Lenoir and T Bone yeah. Burnett, and great producers in their own right. Uh, mm-hmm. But but. Like after I heard Sleeping in the Devil's Bed and Humans from Earth, I'm like, all right, I need to hear more from these guys. So right, yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, and then The End of Violence was a movie that Vim Vendors made in 1997. I saw it once. I uh, I remember Gene Siskel was really high on this film. I've not um, not seen it. It's 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 interesting. I don't know. I I wanted to watch it before we recorded because mm-hmm. I really wanted to sure. just revisit it, but I couldn't. But it. Uh, uh, U2 and Sinead O'Connor uh, collaborated on a song called I'm Not Your Baby for this uh, movie. Uh-huh. It basically just plays over the end credits. Um, great song. Not so sure how well the movie holds up. Yeah. And then uh, finally, Vim Vendors and Bono collaborated on a pet project that Bono had gestating for a good decade or so. Uh, the Million Dollar Hotel. Mm. Uh, this is where this is where it gets tough to be a U2 fan and a film critic. Yeah. My name is Special Agent J.D. Skinner of the FBI. I know there's a killer. I know it's one of you. And whoever it is, I'm gonna get you. I think Gopius was my very, very best friend. And so maybe it's a little strange to tell you. I went ahead and pushed him off the roof. Do you believe the murder confession just made by your son's friend? Yes, of course I believe it. Why shouldn't I believe it? This confession is a joke. And whoever cooked it up is probably the killer. Is he went aerial, man? They think you pushed and killed your best friend, and now they're gonna try and take you away. Jeremy Davies, Mila Jovovich, Jimmy Smits, Amanda Plummer, and Mel Gibson. Featuring music by Bono and U2. The Million Dollar Hotel. It's a great soundtrack. I won't yeah. deny that. It's yeah. a great yeah. soundtrack. Yeah. I love listening to it, except when Mia Jovovich uh, contributes her vocals to well, Satellite yeah. of Love. That's the only <laughs> part where I wish I could hit the skip button. But um, but this was a movie that Bono was trying to get off the ground first during the Zoo TV tour. This is all chronicled in U2 at the End of the World, Bill Flanagan's book. Sure. And um, it looked he wanted Phil Joano to direct it. Because Phil Joanna directed Rattle and Hum. Uh-huh, yeah. And um, Mel Gibson said, uh, or, and, and Phil Joanna also directed a movie called State of Grace, which we'll talk about later on. Ah, uh, yes. And uh, with Gary Oldman. And Gary Oldman was set to star in Million Dollar Hotel. Mm. And he said he would love to work with Phil Joanna again. Most, most people suspected that it was because Gary Oldman could sort of push Joanno around <laughs> he like probably liked that um and mel gibson who's producing the movie said i don't want phil Joanno because he just directed final analysis and that movie was a bomb and uh. yeah so it was like bono was kind of caught in the middle between gary oldman and and mel gibson 
having opposite desires yeah. for the director. So it never got off the ground. Uh, but then Vim Vendors became the director of it. And then uh, Jeremy Davis and Mila Jovovich and Mel Gibson uh, mm-hmm. ended up being cast in it. Uh, I, you know, as somebody who I was a U2 fan waiting for this movie, I waited, you know, a good 10 years for it. Um, and uh, hmm. it was a tough pill to swallow when I when I finally saw it. Um, I I still have not seen it. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <Wow. laughs> I know. I know. I, I, it surprises me too. Um, I am surprised. But, yeah, I I like the soundtrack. It's just I haven't seen <laughs> the movie. It's um, I wanna like I I remember like. I was sort of like the Star Wars fan after Phantom Menace came out. Like mm-hmm. I was trying to like excuse it and say, no, it's, it's actually, it's good. It's good. It's just not great. It's, it, it's good. It's good. And then just like finally having to say, you know what? I, I gotta, I can just, I can't deny this anymore. It's I, my problem, my main problem with the movie is the, everybody in it is trying way too hard to mm. be the center of attention mm. Everybody's trying to be the character you your eyes fixate on the most, and everybody is like, "Oh, you're going to act that crazy? I'm going to act even crazier." And it's like everybody watched uh, Brad Pitt's performance in Twelve Monkeys and said, "I'm going to do that," and right. but couldn't really do it. You know, <laughs> couldn't do it naturally. It almost and, looked like they were trying to do a Jarmusch film or something. Yeah, I mean that that does kind of feel that way. Yeah. Um, but I think the, I don't know if Jarmusch would have reined the actors in more than vendors did. Okay. I feel like th- that the actors on this movie could not be reined in and like say, okay, calm down. <laughs> Let's be a little more subtle here. And it just kind of overpowers the story and it overpowers any like strong characterization that might've been in the script. Like I could not connect with it at all. Mm. I will say this though. Best sequence ever to a U2 song Mm. is the, is the opening scene of million dollar hotel. And it's on Amazon prime. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Just watch the opening scene, which is uh, to the first time off the Zeropa album. Okay. Yeah. After that, turn it off. <laughs> After that, it goes downhill. In my opinion, there are YouTube fans who adamantly, vehemently defend this movie. And God bless them. I, I wish I was on your side. I want to I want to like this movie. I don't want Bono's like passion project to be what it is. Um, I just can't I just can't get on board with it. And I and I've tried many times. So yeah, so, I, I am a fan of Trainwreck, so I don't know if I'll be able to take your advice. I might just watch it all the way through oh, sure. after the uh, after the first time, just to see. Okay, how bad is this going to fail? No, yeah, no. I mean, you know, there's people who defend it, so yeah. I, I, I'm not, I'm not always right. You might like it. You got to try. Um, it. <laughs> but it gives us a good. But this kind of segues into another category of U2's mm. contr- contribution to film via acting, because. While no, mm. nobody's acting in Million Dollar Hotel, it's it's um, you know Bono wrote the story. He does appear for like five seconds. Uh, yeah. During a pan shot across the hotel, you can see Bono oh, there, okay. and then and then that's it. Um, but uh, there's only really three movies where U two is acting uh, either as themselves or other people. And as long as we're on the subject of Bono, for me, hands down, the best acting performance of any band member in U2 has got to be Bono in Across the Universe. 
Hate to mess with your groove, New York. We're about two years ahead of you on the coast. We already graduated from what's been going on to where it's going. See how they fly. I'm crying. I mean, it's fitting. It's a fitting. <laughs> it's a fitting role. And I mean, uh, it, because there's not that many to choose from. Yes, I, I, I guess you could say that's his best. I, I thought when I first saw it, and I'm not a huge fan of the movie, but when I first saw it, I was like, okay, this is almost too on the nose and kind of cheesy, even for Bono. <laughs> but it's, it's no, nonetheless fitting. I say go watch it again. Just we'll go watch that scene again. Okay, he's okay. really funny in it. I mean, when they when they get off the bus, uh, it's really funny, and it's like, and then he gets on the bus, and the bus drives away, and I'm just like, no, 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 bring him back, bring him back. I want more of that character. I love that character. I want to see that just him for like I could watch that character for ninety minutes, easy. The home of Doctor Geary. Another outlaw, like myself, we're navigators, we're aviators, we're eating taters, masturbating alligators, bombardiers, we got no fears, won't shed no tears, we're pushing the frontiers of transcendental perception. What's weird is, we haven't met yet on this or any other plane. He shows this comedic gift that you know uh that he doesn't uh, really get to show very often and i i'd like to see more of it frankly um okay i i'm not a fan of the movie either i i own it um but i i give the movie a chance every few years because i really like million dollar hotel i really want to like it because i think it's got great ideas unfortunately i just think julie tamer didn't give much um didn't put enough effort into the story or the characters, in my opinion. I, yeah. I just—it's it, made up of a lot of '60s cliches. Yeah, and um, I feel like a lot of this stuff was just too like integrating the Beatles music to the story and the characters was a little bit too on the nose for me. Like, you yeah. know, dear Prudence, and it's a, uh, there's a there's a character in the movie named Prudence. Uh, I'm like, okay, come on. Yeah, I know, and yeah, and, yeah, yeah. The stuff, yeah. It's like the 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 characters exist for the songs and not the mm-hmm. other way around. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. that's the problem with that movie. Yeah. And then um, Larry Mullen Jr. has oh, done some acting. What's the estimate on the job? Three hundred grand each. Standard security and local staff. I've always wondered what it would be like to be your kind of persona, the silent stranger type, you know? Are you going to tell me what brought you to this town? You already know. The bank? If it goes wrong, we'll keep you out of it. Perhaps I might be able to help. I've had an account in this bank for more than 50 years. Every time I walk through that door, do you know what I'm going to do? Rob the place. a lot simpler than you think. Stroll in, wave a gun around, grab the money, and leave. Off to the Bahamas. Let's just say I love Larry Mullen Jr. as the drummer of U2. Mm-hmm. That, that's how I lo- that's why I love Larry Mullen Jr. 
it's really hard to love him in the man on the train. I would love uh, to have a beer with him. I yes. just would not like to see him acting in a movie again. It, it's it's really hard to watch him in this movie. It's because it's like he he's basically very stone faced throughout the whole thing, and that's yeah. sort of, I guess that's maybe the character because he is a criminal, but. Uh. There's just nothing there, and like it drives me crazy because, uh, you know, I want Larry to be a a, a good actor. I want to because he clearly enjoys doing it and clearly you know has a love for it. But I thought about recording this podcast today, and I saw that we were going to talk about this movie, and and then I'm like, oh, I have to remember that I saw that movie. And, uh, and it was like, I just feel like, what can I say about this movie? I mean, nothing really good. I mean, mm. maybe cinematography and the story was just boring, but, but it, it's the movie itself is almost like a cure for insomnia. Yeah. I mean, Donald Sutherland is trying his best to wow. act, off, yeah. to act off nothing really. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. like, he's. He, he's really trying. And this is a remake of a good French film of the yeah. same title. And, um, and he just like, he's trying so hard to engage and Larry Mullen Jr. is giving him nothing. No. And it's, it's really hard to watch. And it pains me to say that. It really pains me to say that. I'll have to watch um, the original. It is. It, it's good. Um, and then uh, Entropy is another uh, popular one in, in the U2 lore. Okay. Uh, we mentioned Phil Joano earlier, the director of Rattle and Hum. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this movie? I have not. Okay. It's uh this is Phil Joano's personal project that he okay. made in the in the mid nineties. He um he had an experience making Final Analysis, which is this Hitchcockian right. thriller with uh Kim Basinger and Richard Gere. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was basically it just was a disaster. And um he went through a period of, you know, just, uh, I don't know. It just, it, it's depicted in the movie, just like alcoholism and, mm. and, um, and, and marrying a woman in Vegas, like after one night of meeting her and just like kind of this whole thing of self-destruction. Jake, I'm sending you to New York to make our film. If you lose control, I will have no problem replacing you. Thank you for your support. Completely confused. Your job is to bend over when we tell you. Get it? <laughs> I quit. Hey, Jake, it's Bono here. How about coming out and doing a little job with us? Goodbye, Jake. You run off to Paris. They just ring me up and tell me that it's over. This all boils down to one thing Stella. What are you doing, Jake? Just fixing myself a fresh drink is all. He has lost it. I think we should wake him up and knock some sense into him. And um, <clears throat> and this was sort of during the Zoo TV tour. This is when all okay. this was happening. So he made this movie in the mid '90s, and um, Stephen Dorff playing basically Phil Joano mm. and basically making a noir thriller, and that he doesn't really believe in, and goes through this journey of. Uh, you know, same thing. Uh, you know, he 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 marries Kelly McDonald. Uh, for, you know, while on a drunken night in Vegas, um, 
he's dating a supermodel and they have an on again, off again relationship. And, um, and he's friends with you too. And you two is in the film and they were on the pop Mart tour during the making of this film. And Phil convinced them to sort of integrate his movie in one of their shows in the Cape town, the Cape town show. And, um, so when you, when you see the movie, you'll see you two performing mysterious ways on the pop Mart show. And, um, and, they decide to use his the character's Las Vegas wedding video and play it on the big screen uh, as a way of saving him from himself. Oh my gosh! So during this show, during the actual show, the Cape Town show, Bono says, "Okay, Jake, you can run, but you can't hide." And during Mysterious Ways, played this wedding video, much to the confusion of everybody in the audience who had no oh. idea what was going on. But uh, but that's what you can get when you're friends with you too, like, yeah. and, and you're you got a movie to make. I wish I liked the movie more. I it's. It's if you if I wasn't a U two fan, I never probably would have watched it. First mm. of all, and if U two wasn't in it, I certainly wouldn't watch it again um, because it just feels like it feels like uh, a, a a a film school students movie that they would make um, where the main character Stephen Dorff is constantly like you know breaking the fourth wall and talking to the camera right and um it's very i don't know i i love phil joano's visual style i think Mm -hmm. he's a great visual filmmaker i don't think writing is his strong standpoint Uh, um you know it's it's an interesting movie you can't get it anywhere except on phil joano's website uh, (laughs) you can watch a, a really bad stream of it um it just never got it like disney put it out on video but uh, it never really went. It never got released on DVD or Blu-ray or anything. Oh, interesting. But once in a while, I'll find it streaming on Amazon. Okay, so. maybe uh, Olive Films or something will pick it up. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, yeah it's but, got it. It's got the cast is kind of all over the place. You know, kind of surprising. Like you have mm-hmm. uh, Hector Elizondo and mm-hmm. Jim Gaffigan. What? Okay. Jim Gaffigan's in it? Yeah, he plays a character named Bucky. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember that. According to IMDb, it's like, okay. okay. Got Kurt, <laughs> right. Kurt Loder playing himself. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so th- that's a movie where U2 is part of the plot. Mm-hmm, right. And um, again, only Bono and Ed, or Bo- only Bono and Larry have lines in the movie. Um, Bono has a lot more than Larry. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> so it's interesting to see for that. And that, but there's other movies where U2 is part of the plot. Most notably is uh, one called Killing Bono. Mm. And um, that is a movie that, again, I was really excited that they were making a movie of this book, which was written by Neil McCormick. Mm-hmm. And um, Neil was uh, friends with U2, you know, since the early days. And he's you know written extensively about them. And he's a big part of their family. But, you know, he was trying, the book is about him and his brother trying to get a band going and never really, it, they, their bands never really got off the ground. Meanwhile, their best friends are like skyrocketing to fame and they are like still slumming it, you know, just trying to to get something going and just not being able to do it. And it's a beautiful book. It's a really, it's one of my favorite books. And hmm. it's, it's, it's so good. And I was so mad when I saw the movie. In 1976, the McCormick brothers. We're going to be the next big thing. Started. 
the second best band. In Dublin. But as they got better, the other band. See you on top of the pops, boys. Always had the edge. You're looking at you two. You too. It sounds like a bleeding submarine. <laughs> Do you want to bother him much? Do my bollocks. <laughs> Next Saturday, we'll blow them off the stage. Hold on. That's the day the Pope is in town. Who's going to go and see the pub? Bollocks. What you think fuck? The truish story of two brothers. I could have been in orbit with the best band in the world. What do you want me to say? That you made the worst decision of my life. Who didn't find what they were looking for. None of us did. I'm telling people they're the next you too. Only better looking and gay. Ben Barnes, Robert Sheehan, Killing Bono. You're the soul. I mean, is he taking a piss now or what? He still hasn't found what he's looking for. He has got everything he ever wanted. It took this beautiful story of, you know, reckoning with your personal failures and your inner demons and everything and turned it into this stupid crime comedy. Um, That's a bummer. Yeah. I mean, there's there are humorous elements in the in the book, definitely. But uh, it was really just disheartening to see, like, there's there was there's such a great movie that can be made from this book. And it just didn't quite hit it but i will say it is fun to watch them dramatize the legendary story of larry posting a note <laughs> at mount temple and right. you know the band starting and practicing in, in in edge's kitchen and all that like that part is that part of the movie is cool to watch um and the actor playing bono i don't have his name in front of me but he's actually pretty good i'll have um, to check it out i um yeah. i never got around to seeing it um Martin McCann played Bono. Um, yeah, I'll have to check it out. I was because I've seen clips of it, and I was kind of curious. I did see the the clip where they did, you know, Mount Temple, um, and I'm I'm curious about it, but I, it didn't it didn't look that yeah. great great to me. Um, but I think yeah, it's, it's hard when a book is that good and the movie mm-hmm. just doesn't pan out. Yeah, and I, I mean, I I'd say watch that out of curiosity, maybe over, maybe before million dollar hotel, oh. um, just, just to see somebody acting as Bono. We're never, mm-hmm. you know, how, not, not too many people have done that. So, or can pull it off. I'll just briefly talk about a few more. There's a movie called seven days, uh, mm-hmm. from Mexico, which is, um, I've seen this movie. It's not bad. It's pretty good. You can't get it anywhere, but, uh, it's about a guy who decides to gamble $500,000 in a desperate attempt to raise the cash necessary to bring the world's biggest band, U2, to Mexico. Um, yeah. Cool. Okay. <laughs> and, and the movie uh, uses footage from the um, Elevation Boston show uh, as, in, in the climax. So it's, that, U2 didn't record anything for the movie, didn't really contribute anything, but I guess they gave permission to use that video in, in the film. So, uh, And then there's a French thriller called Tell No One. Oh, yeah. Um, 
You, 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 you're a fan of this movie? Yeah, I've read the book. The book, again, it's a situation where the book is much better, but uh, mm-hmm. the movie's good. I remember, I've only seen it once, but I remember like the plot point in it had to do with somebody uh, um, being at a U2 concert in 1995. Which, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, which made me sit up and go, wait a minute. There were no U2 concerts in 1995. Uh, This movie doesn't know its history. What are they doing here? But I remember it being a good movie. Yeah. In spite of that. And I think it uses with or without you at one point. Yeah, it does. does. And then uh, the movie Taken with Liam Neeson. I believe his daughter is touring or or is following you two on tour in Europe when she gets kidnapped. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. I forgot that part. Yeah, when you had it, when you mentioned Taken, I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. And then uh, an episode of Entourage uh, uh, ends with them going to a U2 concert and, and Bono... Um, I remember it was during the Elevation tour when this episode was filmed, and Bono during the show said, "You know, did a shout out to Johnny Drama, Kevin huh. Dillon's character. Okay. <laughs> hey, Johnny Drama, you know, as he's wont to do. You know, Bono is right. nothing if not charitable to third-rate direct-to-video actors <laughs> who are in the audience at his show." <laughs> So there are is no shortage of documentaries that feature you two, uh, you know, as a as a talking head or even as a performer. Um, I'm just going to mention three the the most prominent ones I think uh, that were at least got theatrical releases. Um, Leonard Cohen, I'm Your Man, was mm-hmm. a, a documentary um, about the great Leonard Cohen, and you uh, two performed his song uh, Tower of Song at the end. Uh, that's a great cover. Have you heard that? Oh yeah, I, I think I have the soundtrack to that documentary, and there's a bunch of different people mm-hmm. doing doing Leonard Cohen songs, and that's a it's a great cover. Yeah, and uh, and Bono's in that documentary quite a bit, as mm-hmm. I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Edge is in a really great documentary, especially if you're a guitar player oh uh, gosh, called yeah. uh, "It Might Get Loud." Uh, him and Jimmy Page and uh, Jack White of the White Stripes, um, just kind of talking about their craft and you know their unique way of playing. And uh, there's one point at which Jack White builds a guitar out of junk uh, in his backyard, and oh yeah, which I thought was pretty cool. But uh, though there's a lot of this is a great movie for you two fans to to check out because Edge, you know expounds on a lot of things uh about his guitar playing that yeah it's a lot of cool behind the scenes stuff and it's directed by davis uh, guggenheim who also directed from the sky down a great documentary mm-hmm. uh about the band and um i love these kinds of behind the scenes documentaries focusing on either a specific instrument or a, a certain you know musicians and Honestly, I was almost hoping for a hoping for a series of it might get loud because I mean mm. you could you could take a lot of different guitarists. I mean here you had Jimmy Page, The Edge, and Jack White. I mean what yeah. what great variety there. Um, 
but then gosh you could take other three other guitarists and make it might get loud too i mean it would be great mm -hmm. um but just to see not just what they use and how they use it but what why why they use it you know and it's it's that the why part is always interesting to me not just what uh, but you know what? What compels? Why? Why do they use what they what they use, and what compels them? How their thought process and everything. I thought that that was it's fascinating and and sometimes kind of amusing uh, to see what what where they live and what they do. Like there's that one <laughs> scene where Jimmy Page is like surrounded by you know all his all this vinyl and and all oh it's just it's it's a mm -hmm. lot of it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's 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 really great. Mm -hmm. And then uh, recently, there was a documentary on uh, Luciano Pavarotti, directed by Ron Howard, called mm -hmm. pa Pavarotti. Yeah. And, uh, of course, that gets into the uh, Miss Sarajevo stuff. Um, I don't remember how much U2 is actually in that movie. I think it's just the Miss Sarajevo sequence, but mm -hmm. uh, I think that's probably it. Yeah, I, I think correctly. Bono does talk about Luciano, of course, okay. and working with him and meeting him. And uh, mm -hmm. But uh, I thought it was a well-made documentary. Yeah, I thought so too. Mm -hmm. um, and there's plenty more, but I, I, we want to move on because there was we're we're getting pretty long here. But uh, uh, people contributed a lot of uh, suggestions and and, mm -hmm. and movies where U2's music just appears and is used to either good effect or in some cases bad effect. Um, <clears throat> the earliest example, in as far as a movie goes is this movie called The Last American Virgin. <laughs> Have you seen this movie? It's been a long time. I don't know if I remember. I probably saw it when I was way too young to see it. Because right. it showed up on like HBO all the time when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. but I don't remember that. You know, like like oh. YouTube being in it. Like. <laughs> no, I mean, you wouldn't remember it if you didn't weren't yeah. conscious of the band at the time. But um, no, they are on the soundtrack. Uh, I Will Follow is a song. Mm -hmm. It is used in it's by the way, people don't know what this movie is. It was a 1982 sex comedy, teenage sex comedy, right? Uh, put out by Canon Studios. Mm -hmm. Canon was notorious for putting out really schlocky, cheap, poorly made, poorly produced films. Right. This was one of them. And um, <laughs> it uses the song. I will follow during a scene in which the female the main female character is getting an abortion Jeez. and the main male character is driving around trying to raise money to pay for the abortion wow so imagine that i will follow as a song playing during that scene you know Yikes. it's like especially since it's about bono's mother mm. and you know it's like here's a scene where a woman is deciding not to be a mother and we're playing i will follow what not appropriate <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure they didn't care about they weren't thinking about that at the time they made right. the movie but right. uh but still it's like ugh. uh yeah yeah <laughs> great great soundtrack though i will say that it's okay. a terrible terrible movie but a great soundtrack um and these are these are in no particular order at all. I just wrote them down as they came in. Uh, Fearless, nineteen ninety three. Jeff Bridges, great movie, great movie. You okay? Were you in a crash? No. There was no earthly reason why Max Klein survived the crash of Flight two hundred two. You're alive. Why didn't you call me? I thought I was dead. Left him with a heightened sense of reality. I think he thinks he's invulnerable. I've seen him with the Vietnam vets. 
kill me, but you can't. And an extraordinary sense of life. He and your wife are the only survivors I can't reach. She won't talk and he won't admit the crash was bad. He says it was good. Says it was the best thing that ever happened to him. I can't explain it, but you're safe with me. So what are you telling me? There, there's no God, but there's you? Is he falling in love with her? It's not love. He wants to save her. He's my best friend. It's like he sent me my own angel. He's not an angel. He's a man. I walked away from that crash with my life. That's what survived. The taste and touch and beauty of life. I won't give that up. Let me be part of it. Jeff Bridges, Isabella Rossellini, Rosie Perez, John Turturro, in a film directed by Peter Weir. Until Million Dollar Hotel, this was my favorite use of a U2 song in a movie, was uh, yeah. where, the streets, yeah. where the Streets Have No Name in uh, 1993's Fearless. That is a great, great mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reality Bites used All I Want Is You. Um, <laughs> a lot of it, people love that. It's in the soundtrack, too, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure if that movie holds up or not. Yeah. I remember kind of liking it when it came out. It but... wasn't it wasn't like B Y T E S, so it's like bites, like you know, the like <laughs> early early nineties kind of tech technological jargon. No, I don't think that had no? that. No, no, it didn't. Okay, all right. No. Maybe. <laughs> That'd be very dated. Yeah. Um. Oh, one of my favorite uses uh, about a boy. It's a great with, movie. Uh, Hugh Grant and um, Tony Collette and little uh, Nicholas Holt. That's right. That's right. Who's who would go on to play Nux in Mad Max Fury Road? Right, right. The little little kid from about a boy going on to uh, mm. save the save the the Mad Max movie. Right, um, and that used Zoo Station to a really funny effect. Mm. Um, that that that's a great great movie. Uh, Three Kings used yeah, I, in in God's Country. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, one of the great uh, movies from 1999, which is one of the great movie years yeah, of all is. time. Yeah. Uh, another movie from the '90s, Threesome. Oh my gosh! <laughs> um, with uh, Lara Flynn, Lara Flynn Boyle, and one of the Baldwins. Oh wow! And uh, I forgot who the third guy was. One of the yeah. Dead Poet Society guys. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. and uh, that was they used the cover of uh, Dancing Barefoot. The, yeah. The um, song, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And another movie that used a U2 cover from the same era, um, Forces of Nature, with uh, this is a movie I, I never saw this movie, but uh, Ben Affleck and Sandra Bullock using Everlasting Love. Here's here's a here's a dated technology movie, Johnny Mnemonic. Wow! See this beast, this B side from The Fly, Alex Sends Into Hell. Yeah, I didn't even realize it was in a movie. Well, it wasn't yet at the time. Right, uh, right. But I mean, it was. They recorded it for a stage show of uh, Clockwork Orange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess I mean it fits into any movie that's about technology and and you know future. It sounds futuristic. It sounds sure. like something that would have some kind of cyberpunk element to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I remember Johnny Mnemonic uh, being a pretty terrible movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's for Dolph Lundgren completists. <laughs> Um, we got a few terrible movies all in a row here. Oh. Uh, Milk Money yep. with um, Ed Harris and Melanie no. Griffith, yeah. right. in which uh, kid little kids bring home a prostitute for their dad and hope that she'll make a good mom someday. Yes, they do. 
<laughs> they use some days are better than others in this movie. I guess they are. <laughs> some movies are better than others. <laughs> yeah. Uh, blown away. This got a couple Ooh. mentions. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, with Jeff Bridges and Tommy Lee Jones and Lloyd Bridges, a terrorist uh, thriller. Um, in which uh, I want to say, yeah, doesn't Tommy Lee Jones, doesn't he like buy a cassette of Joshua Tree at a, at a, uh, like flea market somewhere. And then he's like, he's like listening to with or without you while like, uh, you know, putting a bomb together yep, and like singing along. It's like, this movie should have just been called on the nose. The movie. <laughs> it's like, oh. It was, and, sad. it was sad that that was, I think one of, I think it was Lloyd Bridges last movie. It might've been, yeah. it might've been, yeah. um, and then uh, ready to wear. We talked about Robert Altman earlier. This was, mm-hmm. we were, you know, we were, I think we probably had the same feeling like, wow, Robert Altman's on a roll after the player and shortcuts. And then uh, ready to wear came out. I was like, Oh, never mind. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not a good movie, but it used the uh, lemon remix. I want to say probably was, during a fashion was, show. Scene. Yeah, I was going to say during a runway, probably. Yeah. yeah. There's a movie called bloody Sunday mm-hmm. um, about that day. Um, some would say the 9-11 of Ireland yeah. uh, and directed by Paul Greengrass, who would go on to direct United 93. And um, it's one of the most powerful movies you'll ever see in your life. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's raw, it's visceral, it's, and they use a live version of Sunday Bloody Sunday in the end credits. Is that um, from uh, Wide Awake in America? No, it's, oh. uh, it's something from the Joshua Tree tour, and I don't know specifically which which show but um somebody out there knows i'm sure but okay uh that is that's one of the best movies we're we're, we're ever going to mention today yeah, um great. yeah and uh vanilla sky are yeah, you, you movies yeah did you like vanilla sky i liked it i think i liked it more in retrospect i didn't i didn't know what to make of it when i first saw it but i, I think i've grown to like it same here yeah. same here first I time never- i saw it I wasn't crazy about it, but I never saw the original, but I, I'd be me a, too. Yeah. <laughs> We're bad film critics, by the way, I, I, whatever, <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. Um, for not having seen open your eyes, but I, <laughs> I'm, I'm a fan of vanilla sky. I really yeah, am. I like it. And, uh, another Cameron Crowe movie, Elizabeth town used, uh, pride in the name of love mm-hmm. during one sequence. Right. Um, right. I, this, this was never on my radar before, but apparently the Adam Sandler movie click, used ultraviolet yeah i don't even want to think about that okay i I was hoping that ultraviolet would have been used in ultraviolet the action movie (laughs) right oh well yeah yeah Uh, i I don't remember that at all yeah uh state of grace uh phil joano's uh great gangster movie with um we talked about it earlier with gary oldman and sean penn makes sense yeah Yeah. uh trip through your wires and exit was used during the shootout scene that was pretty cool a lot of people pointed out that Contagion had All I Want Is You. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. We just watched it pr- during you know this time. and probably, A lot of people have watched yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. A couple weeks ago. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Matt Damon played All I Want Is You for his daughter because she couldn't go out and have her own homecoming, her, her own prom. So it was just like him and her dancing in the dining room with these lights. And it was to All I Want Is You, which is a little weird for a dad to be dancing with his daughter. <laughs> All I Want Is You. But okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm 
haven't really been anxious to watch Contagion or Outbreak or any of these other movies that a lot of people have been watching. But um, but I I I I, I like this movie. I've I've great movie. Haven't, yeah. Um. So that gives me a reason to actually jump in and watch it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, they did a remix, a slight remix of Elevation for the Lara Croft Tomb Raider movie. Um, and a fun video came out of that. Okay. I really liked the video for that movie or for that song. Oh yeah. For this, there was more than one video for it, right? I know. I don't know. Is there, I, I'm only thinking of the one where they incorporate themselves in the Tomb Raider movie. And there's like an evil U2 and a good U2 like oh battling. <laughs> I don't ridiculous. remember that. I'll have to check that oh, out. Oh really? You haven't seen? Oh, you gotta go. You gotta go watch the elevation That's video. Funny. Were they wearing goatees? The bad ones? <laughs> no, but they were like you know dressed in leather and you know it was, it was ridiculous. Um, at one point, I remember the documentary of uh, the making of that video. Bono and Edge are looking at the the video monitor of the of themselves as Evil U two, and Bono leans over to Edge and says, "Edge, did we just become Kiss?" Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. Um, Bono and Gavin Friday, and I think Maurice Caesar again collaborated on a song called "Time Enough for Tears" for a great movie called In America. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah, uh, you want to? That's like an instant. That's a tearjerker. Mm-hmm. Like a good tearjerker. Like sure. it earns my tears every yeah. time, especially as it, especially as an ET fan. Because E.T. is a big part of that movie. That's true. That's true. Um, and that's a great song. And they had Andrea Kaur sing it. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Ultraviolet was also used in The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. I do remember that, yeah. Julian Schnabel's film. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, great yeah. That's a great one. This is another movie I really want to see again. I've only seen it once, and I just I really liked it. And a lot of people just love it. Uh, Intermission. Hmm. Uh, Irish movie where they, they use Out of Control um mid 2000s like uh, i think is when it came out 2004 i want to say oh yeah um, yeah yeah uh, can i talk to you for a sec go on looking for love it's frightening i mean what else is there exactly what about love well love's not something you can plan for is it you just never know what's gonna happen stop him what do i want you to do stay out of trouble that's cold i'm watching you he dumps me, ma. Breaks my heart. That's all kissing some baldy fella. Kissing a baldy fella? You don't just took up with the next fella walks by. It was just kind of one of those movies, like, you know, pulp fiction You know, it's like different storylines going on right. at the same time, and they all kind of converge at some point. Okay. This is a really good version of that um, that I, I really want to see again. Um, <laughs> there's a movie from 1982 called They Call It an Accident. Um and it's got a remix of October on the soundtrack. It's uh, it's it's pretty cheesy the remix, but um, you, I I've never seen this movie. You can't find it anywhere. But the, that remix appears on the vinyl soundtrack, which some U two collectors have. Interesting. Uh, Transformers three. Is, uh, this this hurts because this is the only place where this song has surfaced, and that's uh, North Star. Uh, what a what a painful thing and it was um, like it, it was like a background music song you know right, playing on the radio right, right. during one of michael bay's great dialogue scenes and <laughs> um and the song hasn't been heard since and us fans are just clamoring for it just put it out there oh yeah might as well 
before we started recording, you mentioned uh, Aquaman used the Roy Orbison song, She's a Mystery to Me. Right. Um, I have no memory of that movie. Yeah. It, um, and of course, that appeared on uh, Mystery Girl, uh, which uh, a Roy Orbison album, a great Roy Orbison album that came out around the time of Traveling Wilburys Volume 1. And uh, mm-hmm. Roy was getting a lot of help from people. Elvis Costello wrote a song called The Comedians and and Bono and the Edge wrote uh, She's a Mystery to Me. And they played that song live before. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually the one time where uh, hearing the band play that song is just as good as, say, hearing Roy sing it. Yeah. Um, I, I think they do a good job. Of course, Roy is, you know, it's Roy Orbison's voice. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, it was very surreal sitting in Chicago Navy Pier Theater watching Aquaman. And it was this <laughs> transition scene where they go from underwater to uh, an, an above a land location. I think it was like in the one of the Greek islands or something, you know, or it's somewhere in Italy. And all of a sudden we hear the opening of that song. And I'm like, wow, I never thought I would see or hear Roy Orbison song written by uh, Bono and the edge mm-hmm. play, played during a, you know, DC big budget movie. But here we are. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yep. Um, uh, a lot of people pointed out devil wears Prada used uh, city of blinding lights. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's my favorite uh, song off Atomic Bomb. Um, okay. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was actually a pretty good movie. I actually I, oh, I was, like that film. It was hilarious. It was good. Yeah. Uh, was, I forgot all about this movie. Brothers. Mm, uh, that, with which, Natalie yeah. Portman and Jake Gyllenhaal. And, uh, and uh, Tobey Maguire. Yeah. Also um, remake. Remake, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it used uh, a little known song called winter that was recorded during the no light on the horizon huh. uh, and appears in Anton Corbine's movie that, that comes with the bonus uh, box set of uh, no light on the horizon. That's the only place I think that song exists is in that movie. Interesting. And, okay. and, 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 and in this other movie brothers, but I don't think there's a soundtrack. I don't think you can buy a brother's soundtrack to no. get that song. Um, at least when I looked on uh, Amazon, I didn't find anything. But maybe iTunes has it. I don't know. Could be. Um, a movie called Pow Wow Highway, which I've never seen, but I've heard of it. I've uh, heard of it. Yeah. Okay. So, and it's unavailable. You can't get it anywhere. But uh, used uh, Robbie Robertson song that he did with you two called "Sweet Fire of Love." Love that song. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's that's a good one. It's, I I haven't heard that song too many times, but. Uh, <laughs> That and they also were on testimony from mm. Robbie's first solo album. Um, right, great, great stuff. Yeah, uh, great Gatsby. Uh, somebody reminded me that they um, White Stripes uh, cover of Love Is Blindness mm. is in that movie. Oh, I vaguely remember that. I vaguely remember hearing that, and my ears perking up when I saw that in the film. Uh, this is this. I do, I don't know if this is right or not. But <laughs> I, I would believe it uh nims island this weird jody foster kids oh, fantasy yeah. thing based off a book yeah yeah, yeah uh, apparently used beautiful day i have no memory of this i saw the movie once it sounds like it would be good for that movie during like a montage where they're like creating things for the island or something yeah right right yeah, I, see that. I guess so yeah um but uh that that took me by surprise when i saw that in, in a tweet um 
Okay, so a while ago in the show, I mentioned that I've been I am a wedding videographer on the side. Sure. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, the movie Cousins uh, with Ted Danson yep. and Isabella Rossellini, uh, romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. It came out in 1989, I yep. want to say. Another remake, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the It's a movie, kind of like Four Weddings and a Funeral. I mean, it goes through like a year in the life of these, of these people, and there are a bunch of weddings, and there's a, and there's a funeral in it, too. Right. Um, one of the weddings, the uh, wedding couple, their first dance is to With or Without You, <laughs> sung, by the, sung by the wedding band. Wow. It's... It's really hard to listen to. <laughs> Their dance is really ridiculous too. Like it's really kind of funny. I mean, it's I I don't know if they were going for a, a joke here by having this song and this dance. It's hard to tell, but um, unless but, you, yeah, unless you can hit those high notes, you shouldn't be covering that song. <laughs> no, uh, that that one is that one always makes me laugh. That, that's a I think that's a really underrated movie though. It's. I remember liking it, Isabella Rossellini especially. Yeah, it's it's really good. I, I think, and it and I watched it. I think a couple of years ago, and I think it holds up really well. I think it's a really, really funny, really beautiful romantic movie. That's a that's a that's a terrific film. And then uh, Jonathan Demme's last film, Ricky and the Flash, with Meryl Streep. Uh, she sings a cover of "I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For," um, and I think it sounds pretty good. It does. It does. So, you know, yeah. If you just read that, you'd think, well, I don't know if that would sound good, but uh, in context, it's, it's really appropriate. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense considering how good Demi was at putting music together in his movies. Yeah. I wish I would have loved to have seen Bono act in a Jonathan Demi film. That would have been great. De- Cause Demi was great at getting rock stars to act in his movies and give really interesting performances. And right. uh, that would have been a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So that's what we got. And then there's a couple soundtracks in which U2's music has appeared, but I don't know if they actually appear in the films mm-hmm. because, uh, one of them is Scrooged. Um, and there's a, uh, cover of the sweetest thing by the new voices of freedom, which is the gospel choir in uh, rattle and hum that does a still in what I'm looking for. It's a great cover. It's a great song especially at that time when that song was just a b-side wasn't a single yet yeah um but i've never heard it in the actual film somebody could could point it out to me where it might be like you know if it's hidden like deep in a scene where you can't really hear it uh let me know but um and another one is honeymoon in vegas (laughs) uh which has a lot of elvis songs uh, a, a lot of elvis covers by various artists and uh bono's cover of uh can't help falling in love with you is on here. Um, right. And, uh, but I don't know that it's in the actual film. Um, but uh, that's, it's, it's a, both those movies are funny. So it's worth oh, yeah. at least going to look back and definitely you know, see, but uh, I think we covered everything. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, if not, I mean, it's a great place to start. Jeez. Not what, not from lack of trying. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what I would like to see out of, Bono, Edge, U2 as a whole is, is I do believe that they're fans of cinema. Um, it's, it seems obvious. I mean, they're even their live performances, they're cinematic, you know, um, mm-hmm. I would like to see them just uh, score a movie and maybe add a couple of songs here and there. I mean, that would be great. I think the closest, I think that's what I'm, what I'm, what I'm, 
discovering from this episode of all the movies that we've talked about is that, yeah, I would like to see them, yeah, score a whole movie. I think the closest they've come to that is Million, Million Dollar Hotel. Okay. And Bono clearly has had a lot invested in that project, and he wrote a lot of songs specifically for that film, which I think was the eventually led the way for him and Edge to do the songs and the score for the Spider-Man show. Right. Um, and so like, that's, that's, that's cool. But what I really would love to see more of, I mean, of all the, all the films that we've looked at is that, um, I'd like to see U2's music used in a more meaningful way overall, mm-hmm. you know, like the way Scorsese or, um, you know, Sofia Coppola or even Quentin Tarantino, mm-hmm. the way those directors use pop music, they use it very, me- you know, with great meaning. They're not just needle drops for the sake of it. You know, they're, yeah. there's always some little bit of subtext there behind the purpose of the use of that song. Yeah, And I feel like U2's music by and large when people are just kind of sifting through their catalog or just picking a song, an old U2 song to put in a film, it's usually just for like background noise. Right. And it doesn't enhance the scene or change it or change the context of it or, or subtext of it. It's just there and with exceptions, but, but I, but I'd like to see their music used more thoughtfully uh, on a whole, as a, as a whole. Um, you know, like, I think we both talked about fearless being, you know, one of the, one of the best examples of how to use a U2 song, like that song where the streets have no name and fearless, those two things complement each other very well. They are thematically linked to each other. Yeah. And, and that's what I'd like to see more of, you know, Tarantino, especially, uh, that you just mentioned has a knack of taking, uh, maybe more obscure songs and bringing them into the in the forefront. Uh, Scorsese, you know, I mean, look at his use of "Gimme Shelter," a Rolling Stone song. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think of like, even if you did take some, you know, older U2 songs, I, th- I would think to a lot of people they're either gonna, you know, uh, signify a certain time period for them, or mm-hmm. they're they're going to be, it's going to be a song that's chosen that not a lot of people know of that could be yeah. good or bad. Um, you know, I mean, you know, I was sitting there, I was listening to war today and I was, you know, listening to seconds and two hearts beat as one and refugee. And these are like propulsive, really catchy songs. And I could see those being used in a, in a movie somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm sure with, with Bono and the, and the guys, I'm sure they'd want to tweak it in a way or, or something to make it some kind of, you know, maybe an update or something. Um, and that's fine. I, I would just like to see almost, um, I would like to see Bono and Edge almost do some kind of a, uh, not necessarily like a rock opera, like, you know, Tommy or Quadrophenia, but something like, uh, where they take a story that they would like to be, they would like to see told, um, on the big screen and mm-hmm. just, and just, it could just be about a relationship or whatever. Um, and just write music for that story. Um, yeah. I think that would be really interesting, almost, you know, like a, it could be a musical, maybe, I don't know. Uh, but I think that they, that would be really interesting to see where they, where they, they could go with that. Yeah. And I will get, I will give million dollar hotel another bit of credit in that okay. Bono's, 
you know, pet project for cinema was not a movie about a rock star. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't that kind of ego driven. Like he didn't write a part for himself or something like that to get his acting career going, which is the cliche of, of that sort of, that sort of thing. So kudos to, to him for that. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I'd like to see that too. And I know there are listeners who are, you know, shouting, well, Spider-Man, they did Spider-Man. Well, I know, but, <laughs> uh, a lot of things went wrong with that. And I'm not, not just talking about broken ankles. I mean, if you read the book song for Spider-Man, uh, which chronicles all everything that went oh wrong with that show, part of which was that Julie Taymor, uh, didn't have the grip on the story. Right it was yeah. more conceptual. And yeah. so a lot of stuff got lost in translation for, for the audience of what the hell was going on in that thing. Um, yeah. And no matter how many new directors they brought in to tweak it and everything, like the damage had been done and nobody could save it. And, you know, it was just not the best relationship for Bono and edge uh, to get into uh, a theatrical production. So I yeah it would be nice to see something that they come up with something clean that would just like be theirs and you know would be uh something really special and yeah and, cin- and cinematic cuz cuz they they need like there needs to be that great U2 movie that is not a concert film and you know something that is uh something completely other I don't know what but, yeah, <laughs> but I, you're and- right Yep. And they know so many directors that they mm-hmm. could either, you know, pick their brains or, or collaborate with. It would be, it would be great. I mean, I, and I also would expect or hope that with all the, you know, the kind of real life, um, uh, themes, uh, and needs that they are, um, passionate for, I would like to see them, the, you know, the, whatever they, whatever kind of movie or dream project it would be, uh, would have some kind of a message, uh, hopefully subtle and, you know, let, let the visuals take over. But, um, because that's what you expect from you two. I mean, I, I, I am one who I, I love hearing them, hearing Bono preach during his concerts and I love the message and I love to hear about what they're passionate about. So if we could see that somewhat, um, an emotion picture, um, still letting the story take over and let the characters, you know, be the main forefront and the music, but have this kind of subtle message that something that's obviously they're passionate about. That would be cool. Yeah. It's funny. you mentioned that. Like it got me to thinking that, um, that really what they do on tour is very much like a film. Right. Um, if you look at the, uh, I don't know if you have access to it, if you're a YouTube.com subscriber, mm-hmm. but they're, they released a stream of the, uh, Berlin video, uh, um, for the songs of, ex- the, in- uh, songs right? of experience right. tour. And we did a whole commentary track. That was the last podcast episode we did. And it was much like commenting on a movie because mm. it was like a cinematic experience. It did tell a story in like a two hour plus time period right. where it, you go from A to B to C and it it takes you on this journey. And the screen effects are a big part of that. And Bono's, you know, putting everything in context for the audience is a big mm. part of that. Um, 
And so they do think in these terms when they put their shows together. It's not just a random set list. Well, maybe some nights it is just for fun, but sure. but uh, but you know they they definitely have that storytelling instinct in them, and it would be so cool to see that come to the big screen in a way that is unique, right? Uh, yeah, so. yeah. I mean, their concerts have always been immersive, and I think that's some of the best. Some of the best films, some of the best movies that you could think of are ones that you're fully you're fully immersed in. So mm-hmm. uh, it would be a, a great and kind of natural, I think, uh, uh, collaboration. Or, yeah, yeah, definitely. So I do you have. Let's just go. I, I should have asked this at the top of the show. What's your favorite U two album? Um. My favorite U2 album is probably The Unforgettable Fire. Okay. Uh, and, you know, I always have to clarify favorite and best. Right. I understand it may not be somebody's best or it may not be considered their best, but it was the one that really hooked me and it still takes me to that place. And mm-hmm. I think whenever you're really passionate about something, if, if you're always going to have that as your favorite, whatever you're, you're whatever introduced you to that something that you're passionate about. I think that'll always be your favorite. Um, and it was a really interesting time. And I think in their career, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, so unforgettable fire thematically, you know, song after song, listening to the whole, whole album. It's just, it's a beautiful piece. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I always love going back to that one. Uh, just cause I, I think there's something it's, it's kind of a disjointed album, but that's kind of one of the reasons why I like it because it's just, <laughs> it's so, um, it just kind of, it, it shows you two just trying. It, it's like that. It, it's one of the great transition albums yeah. of all time. You know, yeah. it's like they got one foot in the war period still, and they got another foot in the Joshua tree period. And it's fun. It's it's really interesting to listen to them try to figure out like how to make the next move. For sure. Um, I mean, if you went from war to Joshua tree, that would be kind of jarring, but yeah. if you go from war to unforgettable fire to Joshua tree, you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um. All right. Cool. Uh, I asked if you did you did you put together like a top five list of your the favorite movies from this list or no? I, I kind of didn't, but I mean okay. I, okay. I I could definitely you know pick some from this list. I mean, obviously, I, I think I like what you were getting at as far as how you two songs were used in the mm. movie. Um, you know, I, I I would put you know Fearless up there, of course. Um, yeah. State of Grace. Um, you know, um, I, I don't know. I mean, wings. Yeah, definitely. I mean, wings of desire doesn't have you two songs in it, but I would say in the name of the father is, is really mm. you know, memorable. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to sort of, you know, um, it's, it's sort of like, you know, best versus favorite, you know, right, it's like, right, right my favorite use of a U2 song is in a movie I don't like. Um, and, uh, so that, that, that happens, but, um, so I'll just, I, I'll, for, for people who are stream, who want to stream some of these movies, not all of them are available. Some of them are just not available at all. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, my, the top ones I would recommend that are streaming, um, until the end of the world Mm -hmm. is, uh, streaming on the criterion channel uh as is paris texas the movie that inspired uh, a couple of the songs on joshua tree um you said wings of desire it's Mm -hmm. on criterion or you can get it on amazon prime for 299 uh fearless is on amazon prime for 299 about a boy is on 
Amazon Prime for three ninety nine, or it's free if you have stars already. Mm-hmm. Uh, In the name of the Father is on Prime for three ninety nine. Three Kings uh, is on Prime for dollar ninety nine. It's not a lot of stuff that's streaming for free that no. I love. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Gangs of New York is on HBO. Intermission and Ricky and the Flash are both on Amazon Prime for two ninety nine or three ninety nine. But those are I think those are the ones I, I recommend the most. Um you can search around for all the other ones. But uh uh David, thank you so much for yeah, no for problem. joining for joining me on this. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, it was me. yeah, it was great to chat and it made me wanna catch up on a few things and it kind of uh <laughs> opened <laughs> opened my eyes to a couple of things that I didn't really consider or think about. But um yeah it's always good to look at you know some of your blind spots in both viewing and listening Mm -hmm. yeah and i know this is this episode runs ran a little bit longer than a a usual at you two episode but that's because we're we're in you know seclusion (laughs) seclusion (laughs) and we're we're we're, this is a subject near and dear to our hearts right right all right, cool. Well, if you if you watch Million Dollar Hotel all the way through, let me know what you think. I will let you know, definitely. Okay, and you can watch right. that. You can watch that on Amazon Prime, and you can watch it on uh, Tubi TV. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, which is a free streaming service. Uh, and you can yeah, you can pretty much watch. Uh, go to Tubi TV. Um, you can watch Million Dollar Hotel, and you can also I found you can watch the uh, Joshua Tree documentary, the classic album documentary, uh, on streaming TV. on there. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So that's great. Cool. All right, man. Uh, All right. Where, well, where can people read your work, find you or, or uh, tweet you can, at you or fine. I'm on Twitter at David J Fowley, F O W L I E, or um, my uh, reviews can be found at keeping it real. Uh, com. That's keeping dash it dash real R E E L.com. Cool. Um, and you can tweet at us at, at you two, um, and uh, let us know what you think. Let us know if I missed anything, uh, any movie that we should have mentioned. Um, I'm sure there's something, but I damn if I know what it is, because when we posted that tweet, you guys were on it. All right. Uh, so that's it for us. And, uh, we'll be back soon with another episode of the at you podcast. Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye.